Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and in today's show, I was joined by Tara Scott, the Manager of Growth and Market Intelligence at Benevity. Benevity is the undisputed market leader in the corporate purpose software space. So I asked Tara all about the blessings and curses that come with competing as a market leader. We dive into Tara's journey from being a double English lit major turned copywriter turned product marketer all the way to their current role in charge of competitive. We also get into how you can avoid getting into that he said, she said when competitors are planting some serious fud in your direction, why curiosity is an essential characteristic for competitive experts and what Tara did with her compete program to get the ultimate seal of approval from a senior sales rep. This was a fantastic conversation, and I'm so excited to put this one out to the world. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right, today I am joined by Tara Scott, the Manager of Growth and Market Intelligence at Benevity. Uh, prior to that, Tara was actually involved in product marketing at Benevity for, was it five years in total? Yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah so she's got years. vast experience in product marketing and the competitive side of things. So Tara, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on as well. Um, today, we're going to actually talk about Tara's story, kind of her journey from product marketing to compete. But we're also going to touch on this topic that's come up a lot in some conversations I've had internally, externally with other people on the podcast. And it's why on earth should market leaders care about their competitors. So we're going to get into that a little bit later. But first, Tara, tell me kind of what was your gateway into product marketing? So I actually started my career. Well, I'll even step back a tiny bit. I have two degrees in English literature, which is like, how do you get from English lit to competitive and not being a teacher or something like that? <laughs> like I, it's kind of one of those, like, it doesn't make sense. But I spent about a decade in copywriting. Um, I did a quick dip going from like tech companies to nonprofit and just kind of went, poof, no. And I did communications planning though there, which was good and kind of helpful in getting that, that planning muscle going. And then when I came to Benevity, it was kind of at that stage where we've just been growing and growing and growing the whole time I've been here. I've been here almost six years now, but even though I was in product marketing, I kind of wore a few hats at first because there were other things that were, were needed almost more. And so there were things like, you know, being the team editor and that kind of stuff. And I had a leader come in not too long after I started though. And she kind of assessed me and she's like, I think you'd be really good at product marketing. I think you'd be a natural because you're curious you're really good at building relationships because I already had relationships across most of the departments or most of the teams across Benevity. And I have really strong writing skills. I said, okay, let's try it. And luckily within kind of that first month of having me focus purely on that, I was able to go for pragmatic marketing training. And so I took foundation, the foundations market and launch courses um, to start. And since I've gone back and gotten the other ones, because much like Pokemon, I wanted to catch them all. <laughs> I wanted all of the courses. Um, but all I really needed was that framework. And it was just like something cracked open in my head and it was perfect. And it just felt like this, oh, this is my home. This is where I need to be. And I had a great time in the years that followed. You've got all your Girl Scout badges with it yes. too, for all of your different yes. courses. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. I like to collect things. I'm a completionist. <laughs> 
I think that must, that's a definitely a good trait to have in product marketing and in compete. So actually on that note, then when you pivot into product marketing was mm-hmm. when does compete kind of enter into sort of your job responsibilities? Is it from the get go? Is it part of like, I mean, product marketers have to do 27 different things at the same time often. So where, where to yeah. fit in initially? It's so true. So it was a part of my role initially as part of my product line, because I was the product marketer on our community investment solution, which means um, it's like software that helps uh, companies and corporate foundations make those, you know, like large corporate grants or maybe sometimes smaller corporate grants, but that's basically what it is. Um, And again, kind of relatively new to that space and, and coming in and I had to figure out, well, okay, who are our buyers? What is our market? What is not our market? Um, who are the players? How do we differentiate all of that? And so I spent, I was spending quite a bit of time on competitive there. Um, and then a couple of years ago off the side of my desk, my people leader said, Hey, can you uh, pick up our win-loss program? Because the person who was doing it had left. And when I say win-loss program, I mean, specifically like an interview program versus like digging into all of the win-loss data. And so I said, sure, I can, I can do that. And I started doing win-loss interviews and she said, Hey, uh, you're real nice. If we refresh those old dusty battle cards. <laughs> and I said, sure. Uh, and then I was asked, well, we heard, I heard there was a win-loss interview hub. And I was said, I don't know who told you that, <laughs> but it, so it was kind of this like step-by-step, can you do this off the side of your desk? And then last year I was kind of given the opportunity to choose. Did I want to continue doing what I was doing in product marketing, but move up a level and lead a team? Or would I like to focus full time on market intelligence and build that out as a function? And I'd been having so much fun. I mean, I still love everything I was doing on product marketing, but it was so much fun. And it was sparking that all those same things that I love about curious about um, product marketing that like meeting that curiosity, the relationship building and the writing skills, like equally applicable to competitive. You, You can't do competitive if you're not curious, if you can't make friends and if you can't communicate the right insights and perspective that people need to have so that they can go on and do their own jobs in other parts of the business. It's such a good point. It's like this almost like in investigative research. And I think when you mentioned yes. that, like curiosity, that's like mm-hmm. kind of the, that's a through line I see with a lot of product marketers is that curiosity spark, especially in terms of competitive. And then there's that copywriting, storytelling, distillation of all of these facts, data points, mm-hmm. things that are happening in the market and condensing it to why the heck that matters i mean even personally for me coming from a journalism background like getting into a organization that's all about competing like oh this is so fun like you're kind of always digging researching and trying to convey like this tight story so why why did you want to go full-time into competitive was it sort of not only like feeding your curiosity was there like did you see it as an important aspect to the business like was that going to help level up how the business was functioning or operating or competing Yeah. So I would say it's two different things. One of them is exactly what you described. It was already, even what I was doing off the side of my desk, I could tell that it was helping the business. Mm -hmm. Um, It was helping our sales team. It was helping our product team. And I know this from the feedback that I was getting, but on a personal note, um, because as much as I want to help the business, I also want to make sure 
that I feel like I'm going on a good path with my career too. I felt like this gave me more options so that either it will help me be a better, more rounded product marketer. If I want to go on to lead a product marketing team at some point, I, th- I think it would be challenging for somebody to be a really strong leader in product marketing if they don't have a good understanding of how competitive and market intelligence works. And then perhaps maybe this is just the path that I want to go on. Maybe I only want to do that because it is growing as a field, just like product marketing is growing and exploding as a field. Competitive is turning also into its own field as well, although it feels a little more nascent than product Mm. marketing. So I like the idea of having options, especially at this point, you know, I've been working mostly in tech for almost 20 years now. I like the idea that I'm still excited at this point when I'm like, I'm I'm mid-career. So let's go where the exciting things are. Being a trailblazer, something new. I'm actually, when you mentioned that, you said something about there's like a kind of the growth aspect actually is good if you wanted to go on to be a product marketing leader, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. When you took on competitive full-time and now within Benevity, they know Tara is the completely the compete person. Did that, did that improve your like your own visibility or mm-hmm. sort of like were you getting more requests? Was there more like cross-functional communication with you? Because I think um, like you said, when you even when you were doing it on the side of your desk, you noticed that it was having an impact. So there must have been a hunger for competitive mm-hmm. insights, competitive intel. And now you have a formal person, a point person that's running competitive now. Yeah. So I mean, I've only been able to do it like full, fully, fully, fully full time uh, for probably about a few months now, because there was definitely some crossover where I had to help the person who came in to take over my portfolio. Like it was really important to me that I wasn't just gonna be like, here you go, throw it over the wall. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Peace. I'm gone. (laughs) Um, I still have tremendous love and respect for the team that I was working with and I'm so proud of what I was able to do. So I wanted to make sure there was a really strong handoff. And so there was, you know, a few months there where I had to still continue to work quite closely with that person. And I would say yes, but it can also get better. And that's a part of my plan is how can I continue to raise the visibility, not just to raise my profile, though. I don't think that's the point. The point is to make Mm -hmm. sure that all teams that could benefit from the work that I'm doing that they, that they know about it, they, they have access to it, that they know how to plug into it. I want to make sure that all the boats across Benevity are, are raising together. It's an interesting, like, I think just listening to you speak, the curiosity, you're pulling on the thread on the side of the desk, and then you start to see, okay, traction, not only personally, but from like a business perspective, mm-hmm. there's demand, there's need for the win-loss side of things. There's need to improve our battle cards. Mm-hmm. And so you start to pull on that thread. And again, when I've talked to other folks, it's like, that's sort of how they come into this compete world. It's like, oh, there's so much value I can bring to the entire organization. If I put some time and effort and a process or a program together, strictly on what the competition is doing and how we're going to enable our own teams to combat beat the competition as well okay i've got a question then i mean we're on a podcast i'm supposed to ask questions you give me insightful answers i think that's Uh how this thing goes you've been immersed in competitive full-time now what Mm -hmm. is something that you wish you could have taught your younger self or your when you first kind of started to dabble in competitive what's a lesson you've learned now that you wish you'd known back then i think the main thing And this would be, I guess, myself that was saying yes to things off the side of the desk, um, because I don't think I have anything else to say to my three months ago. (laughs) Um, But if I could go back to that, 
person, I would just try to make it clear that it's a really highly strategic role and it supports more parts of the business than you even realize. Uh, when I started doing it, it was because sales was asking if we could start doing win-loss interviews again. The battle cards, again, are sales support tools. And so it had been very sales focused. Um, and since then, I've been able to branch out more and working with other parts of the business too. It's so much more cross-functional than I realized. And I mean, I'm the kind of person like I have to have I have to have a good time at work. Not all day, every day I get like some, you know, some days are hard and whatever, and you're not going to be friends with everybody, but like you spend more time with your coworkers than you do with your family. Right. I need to know that I'm going to have a good time at work and with people that I like and respect and often build friendships with. And it's actually a fantastic role for that, um, to get to be this almost like a trusted advisor in some ways for other parts of the business is not something that I take lightly. It's something that I actually take very seriously because it's important to me that I always want to be helping the business drive forward. We're all growing together because we have this, we call it our moonshot, but it's kind of that, like, what's our reason of being, we want to help drive change in the world through other companies and through the people that work for them. Well, it's important to me that I can help the company continue to do that at scale. That's a good, that having that mission statement to rally around is I mm -hmm. think part and parcel of like, when you see successful companies in the wild, you know, that they have that, that mission statement. And I mean, in yeah. your space too, it's also a mission statement is around doing social good too. So it's even easier to latch onto. Okay. So when you're running competitive, why did you start with sales first then? And what are the other departments now that you're helping? You mentioned that that you're kind of, it's trickled into other departments, et cetera, being mm -hmm. a trusted advisor. Um, a strategic asset. So why sales first and who are the other departments now that you're engaging with? Sales first, mainly because they were asking, <laughs> you know, they were, they were having the greatest pain. They were having the greatest needs. We were doing, you know, we were growing our, our business pretty well. And, you know, we're adding new clients all the time, but there's also another phrase that we kind of live by at Benevity is that there's always better. And in the spirit of there's always better, how do we make sure that people are going out and having the right conversations? Well, they need actionable insights. And so I also like to take though a highly targeted approach. And so when I get information, one of the, one of the things um, that uh, a few people in my friend circle know me for is that I like to make highly targeted recommendations. One of the people I work with at Benevity, I actually worked with her at another company. And she said, one of the things she appreciates about me is if I recommend a TV show to her, she knows she's going to like it because I've made sure this person is going to like this TV show. I like to match make people with things. You're, you're doing the Lord's work, Tara. Sorry. You're doing the Thank Lord's you. work with that. <laughs> I have my role. Maybe I'm going to have to add you to my list. I have about three people that are my, my own trusted advisors, my own competitive SWAT team mm -hmm. for for television and films. Sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off, but that's all right. Let's do it. We'll, be, we'll <laughs> become besties and I'll tell you all the shows and video games and books that you need. And so that part of my brain is also activated when I'm doing this kind of work. And so I might get in a piece of information about, Oh, okay. This kind of functionality is coming out. Okay. Well, the product team needs to know about this. I'm seeing there's this new um, I've never heard of this provider before, but okay. They're filling a gap that maybe we don't have. Okay. Perhaps I should reach out to our partnerships person and say, Hey, do you want to go have a conversation? Um, it might be our strategy team. It might, and it might even be like, Oh, okay. We heard this from four buyers about 
a client success model with a competitor, I'm just going to let our client success team know so that they can keep it in mind for their context. And so not all, in my opinion, not all information needs to go out to everybody in the whole company. And so I try to just keep it targeted so that everybody gets the information they need when they need it, as they need it. You know, it's funny. Now you're talking like from a video game perspective, I remember a computer game I used to play when I was younger. So if this age of empires, empire earth, I almost, uh-huh. when you're talking, I almost envision Terra as like the scout going out and scoping out the other civilizations being built and then coming back and delivering to these different teams. Like this is where you need to be putting your resources. This is where you need to go. Um, yeah. Well, and also when, whether it is a tabletop or a video game, I am absolutely a min maxer all, all day, every day. And I just think that applies here too. <laughs> Well, okay. One thing though, if you're, if you're kind of enabling, um, informing these different teams, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of work on your plate. So is Mm -hmm. it, have you started to like put a process in place? I know you don't want to be too prescriptive and competitive Mm -hmm. because you're assessing what's happening in the market, but how do you do that without burning out? Because a common thing with product marketers, uh, especially ones doing kind of side of desk is shoot. Once you kind of take on competitive, especially from a sales perspective, it's like, I'm just, my day is now ad hoc sales requests and you're mm-hmm. kind of drowning in that. So like, is there a process you've started to put into play to be able to do this in a manageable way? Yeah, there's a few things. And again, there's always better. So there's going to be more and I'm putting together kind of my plan for um, our next fiscal year just to see like, how can we enhance what we're doing and how we're doing it and can we do it better? But there are some proactive things. I mean, one of them, obviously clue. <laughs> uh, I think that helped a lot. It helped us go from this context of, Oh, okay. A request came in about this competitor and about these features. I'm going to go check their website. I'm going to check what's been talked about in Slack. I'm going to see if we have anything in a box folder somewhere. I'm going to go through my emails. Like, no, as soon as it's in there, I don't have to do that. And also the whole team knows that the clue is there and they're pretty good. And so that's cut down requests quite a bit because they'll check clue first. And then they'll come to me for more. So already that cuts down a bit. I've also started doing something uh, like a kind of a a part of my process and the regular cadence of what I do. And I've been doing it for a couple of years now is going in and talking to each of our sales teams because we have multiple, but going in and talking at the individual team level, because I could do like a whole sales team thing. But when you're trying to get feedback, like that's just bananas when you have more than 10 reps, I guess. Um, but at the end of each quarter or like after a quarter is closed, just going and saying, Hey, how'd it go? What went well? What didn't go well? What trends are you seeing? What are things buyers have been talking about? And by putting that on the calendar four times a year, it also creates a cadence where people know, Oh, okay, this is coming. So I'll talk about it then. And then if there's anything that's really like need to know on fire sooner than then, then they know to come to me sooner than that it's interesting to hear you speak like there's almost like an infrastructure you're starting to build but mm-hmm. then also a really key point i think you mentioned there and even when i'm talking to you like great at building rapport and that's like a, a really key element to being good at competitive yeah. and i think when people are like okay I'm, I'm i have the pains of today like i don't want to be dealing with ad hoc requests they want and this is a buzzword but like i want to be able to scale my support which is what you need to do but scaling again i talked to alex mcdonald about this it does scaling doesn't have to come at the expense of personalization being hands-on in the deal talking on an individual basis and i think there's sometimes a disconnect when you think scale but actually the best people competitive experts are still boots on the ground talking on a 
talking one-on-one, talking to individual sales team, not mm-hmm. just the sales team, because your impact's going to be, it's going to play out far better if you're talking one-on-one. A hundred percent. And I mean, personally, I don't believe in networking just for the sake of networking. I know that there are people that that works for, and I mean, props to them, that's fine. But for me, I would rather build genuine relationships. And when you work at a place as long, like as long as I've been at Benevity, that means that genuine friendships have, have formed. I might be getting to know a sales rep and like, I know what's going on with their kids. I know what's going on with their (laughs) in-laws. I know, but also I know that they are going to come to me as soon as they get some piece of information. And I didn't get to know them and their family because I want that information. I got to know them because I wanted to get to know them. And, but by having that trusted relationship, it also happens to make my job better. It's just a nice extra benefit. I truly don't think you can be successful and competitive if all of your relationship building is mercenary. I just don't think it works. Such a good point. And I don't know why you're, this conversation is just triggering so many pop culture references and I won't go down this rabbit <laughs> hole, but it feels like survivor <laughs> to me when you're building relationships for the cause of building relationships, not to just win a jury vote. I won't go down mm-hmm. that rabbit hole. I don't sure if you watch survivor, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a constant like social discussion. It's like how genuine your relationship should be, but also there's a point to it as well. So yeah, we'll can that one. That'll be for our next offshoot podcast. That you got it. <laughs> Um, I want to get to the benevity of it all too. Yes. So what does the, what does the competitive landscape look like that benevity currently operates in and Mm -hmm. how are you differentiating right now? So, you know, in my time here, I've really seen the market change drastically because it consolidated down from like many players to a few players. And now we're in a period of rapid expansion again, which is actually kind of exciting. And so there's new players popping up all the time. But we're continuing to grow too, right? Like we are adding new clients all the time. We also have had uh, a couple of acquisitions in the last year. The way we differentiate though, yeah, I I could get into like features and service and whatever, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to because so what, right? Every, Every company wants to do it on that. I fundamentally believe that it's because our why is different. Our reason for being is different. And so- We're not, so I talked about kind of that um, community investment side. We also have other products that companies use to help their employees kind of connect with their personal purpose through connecting with nonprofits by, you know, like charitable donation matching, volunteerism. Uh, In some cases, we have, you know, content libraries for um, personal actions that people can use to do better and grow and change, whether it's, you know, in sustainability related actions or diversity, equity, and inclusion. But the point of it is that we're not just looking at, okay, how can we help companies and their people move money to charities and nonprofits? Like, yes, we help facilitate that, but we're really focused on how can companies deliver on their purpose through their people, through their own community investments, and in that way, drive that greater social and environmental outcomes. And I think by staying focused on that, why are we doing this? And having that there's always better mentality, we're continuing to grow and change in ways that we don't always see in every competitor out there. Okay, so Benevity is the market leader in the corporate purpose software space. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at it from like a funding perspective, market share, company size, employee growth, and this is a bit of a flippant question here, so I apologize, but 
surely you don't need to care about competitors then, right? Nope, we're done. Let's go. <laughs> no. uh, I mean, every company needs to care about competitors. I don't care how big or small you are. You need, if you're not caring about competitors, what are you doing? But not every person in the company needs to care about competitors, or maybe an even better way of saying it is not every person in the company needs to keep an eye on competitors. And so in my opinion, it's critical for companies and especially market leaders to figure out like where and how do they best want to direct that work so that everybody gets the most out of it because it's very easy for everyone to get distracted. If nobody owns it, then everybody owns it. Yeah. What does that look like? Everyone getting distracted. What, What do you mean by that? So Slack is one of the tools that we use and we have a competition channel that long, long, long predates my time even at Benevity. Although it is something that I suppose I technically own at this point. Um, Not even technically, (laughs) but, you know, people would drop a link in there and then you would see so much spin from all parts of the business about something that wasn't that important. And it could be like, oh, look, this new company is forming. And it's like, great. That's okay. We don't need to worry about a new company right now. Let them grow. Let them do their thing. There is room in the market for all of us. What are you focused on right now? How are you working towards our company goals? Or do you just have anxiety now because you saw a piece of information out there in the wild and now you've given five other people anxiety because they don't know what to do with it. And so I think, again, like if you have someone or a team focused on it, like my role is to not only bring the right information, but to bring a perspective with it. And so now when information gets dropped in there, um, my response usually starts with a thank you. And then maybe it's a, okay, this is good information. I'll take it away and we'll see, you know, what we do. We'll dig into it more. Or maybe it's like, friends, I don't think we need to worry about this. I just don't think it's worth our time because maybe, okay, a new competitor is being announced. They haven't even launched yet. Why are we worrying about somebody who hasn't even launched? Let's just all have a little bit of perspective. It's that's a, that's a good point as well about sort of this chaos or anarchy that can ensue and it can get infectious. Mm -hmm. It can spread boom, 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 boom. And maybe that's to the point I think you mentioned there is now as sort of the compete lead at the organization that you're able to quell or put out those moments of potential uncertainty, anarchy, doubt before it festers or grows right away. Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I mean, our leadership team has been really good over the years at basically saying, that's not really something you need to worry about right now. Just focus on what you're doing. We don't, like, I don't want to say that they didn't pay attention to the market because they absolutely paid attention to the market, but their, their point was that not everybody needs to worry and pay attention to the market. You need to pay attention to like, what are you working towards? What is your team working towards? How does that ladder up towards what the company is working towards? If we're forging a path ahead, what does that look like? Don't worry so much. And now that's kind of something that I'm doing more of. On the sales side of things, because you mentioned like that was the biggest need. That's how you started. That's how this whole thing kind of came to be. Yeah. Uh, have you noticed a difference from them in terms of like their confidence, maybe uh, how they kind of interact with the compete side of things now that you're kind of, there's more of a systematized process in place? Mm-hmm. I would say now they continue to talk about the competition. Of course they do. 
Absolutely. Of course they do. They're talking to buyers all day, every day. And buyers are also talking about the competition, but I would say there is less panic. There is concern sometimes. And I mean, absolutely. There should be concerns. We, there are worthy competitors in our market and I'm not going to lie and say that there's not, but when they bring me information, it's so that I can, you know, make sure the right people get it and also update the resources. And again, it's that idea of like, how do we share this information at scale? And so I believe it's cut down on some of the like, Hey, do you have a resource? Do you have any talking points for when we sell against this competitor? And it's like, well, they have the resources already. It's just how do we kind of keep that up to date? So now it feels like they're just, they're sharing, but they're not um, as panicked. And even like I had one of, one of our sales reps, he's been here longer than I have. And he really, really solid, awesome guy who, to be honest, I suspected wasn't even going into Clue because he's just been here so long and selling against these particular competitors for so long. And I was catching up with him last week or the week before. And he said, I got to tell you, I went into Clue because I I'm in a deal against this one particular competitor. It's all there. It's all there. It used to be scattered all over the place, but it's just right there. And I was like, whoa, thanks, man. Which to me was probably the greatest compliment I could have gotten and one of the best kind of like stamps of approval when somebody like that, who I know, I know that he has his own folder of all these materials he's collected <laughs> forever, um, but he still finds value in what I'm pulling together and the perspectives that are a part of it. That for me was just like, that was a good day. That is, that is so good to hear. That little story, that side you mentioned kind of I think it encapsulates sort of the changed state that you've, mm-hmm. that you becoming full-time compete, what you've put into place, how you're helping and enabling your teams from here yeah. to there. Um, that's yeah. such a great story to hear. Okay. I got a question as well in terms of being the market leader. Mm. Um, there's, so when you're the category leader, there's obviously a million and one benefits in terms of how you compete, you're sort of maybe when people think of that space, they immediately think of you um, from sure. a brand perspective, from an evaluation, like pe- buyers are more likely to go to, they're going to, they're going to go to the leader first and foremost, but are there pitfalls? Are there difficulties that I don't know about competing as a market leader? Yeah. So the blessing and the curse of the, of being the market leader is that everybody knows who you are and that can mean that there are just preconceived notions about who you are and what you do. And some of those preconceived notions are seeded by competitors, especially if a competitor is able to get in there and have the first conversation. And especially if they're able to tell the story, that company's not for you. They're not the right match. We're the right match. And this is why we're the right match. And there might be like a kernel at the heart of what they're saying that could be true. But like, come on, like you just have one real honest conversation. You can brush it aside. No big deal. Except they got in there first. They did it in a way that's really compelling. And then that's a thing that that you have to kind of fight with and contend with. And so that's something that we've been um, trying to work on is how do we tell our story when somebody else is telling stories about us? Because often it can also come across as what, even when you're trying to just correct a misconception, you have to be really careful how you do it. It, it takes a, a really thoughtful and conscientious approach because otherwise it just comes across as somebody going, well, no, no, 
that's not, or defensive or, which is like, we don't want to be defensive. And we, and at the end of the day, the most important thing to us is, is a buyer actually going to connect with the partner that they think is right for them? Now, obviously, often we think that we are the right partner and it is a little bit heartbreaking when we see companies decline to buy our software because they believe that story. And often we'll see them come back two years later and three years later. And they say, you know what? We were wrong. We were wrong about what we were told. It's such a difficult, uh, there's so much nuance to it. And that's why I love kind of exploring as well, that conversation around, okay, a competitor is weaving a story about you. That's how it is. This is business. Like totally, you're trying to to win a deal, but Mm -hmm. then it's as you as the compete lead, you as an organization, how you tell your story. And then the reps in the field talking to that prospective buyer, there's always that delicate balance with if you just go, no, uh-uh, it becomes like a he said, she said sort of totally. a rumor. And, and now what? Now, now the, yeah. this is not helping the buyer at all. It, it muddies the waters. And maybe that's what the competitor is trying to do is draw parity to some degree, especially when you're the leader and kind of muddy the waters and make it as difficult as possible to pick the, let's be, let's be players, the obvious choice, maybe mm-hmm. the incumbent. There have literally been cases there's one in particular that i have in mind of because again i do some of the win and loss interviews um and there was one that i did a couple of years ago and when she was telling me all of the reasons why she chose this other competitor i thought woof all right well i mean honestly honestly i hope it works out for you because for me at the end of the day i just want like i don't know i just want people to be happy that's fine Mm. um and if she would have been happy with that other provider that would have been great she emailed me last summer she emailed me and she emailed the rep but because i was the last person at benevity that she talked to doing the loss interview and she said yeah so all that all those reasons that we bought that other software for um didn't work out and we'd like to talk to you and can you make sure that people show up to the conversation that can speak to and listed like a few things and i knew when we did the loss interview because she was talking about our differentiators. Somebody else got in with a, with a different story and a better story about our differentiators, or at least in a way that was more compelling. It was probably a better way to put it. And now she has, she had to implement another platform again. Like it is expensive to implement more than once and it is hard. And you have to go around and have those conversations with all the people that you convinced two years ago to buy this one platform. And then you need to go and say, I am so sorry. I bought the wrong software. I need to like, that's hard. So the part of like the empathetic part of me, like the, the part that I mean, maybe I shouldn't be bringing into work, but like that part of me just feels so bad sometimes when I hear these stories. So again, that's why so much of this work is so important in making sure that our reps can tell their stories in a compelling way, because what we want, like there, there are times when buyers walk away from us and it's totally fine. Cause we're like, you know what? It would have been a little bit of square peg round hole. Yeah. It's okay. We understand. It's more important for them to go with somebody that will work well for them. But the heartbreaking ones are the ones where we know very well that we have exactly what they need. And I just want to make sure that our reps can have those best conversations all the time. What I'm listening to you speak is competing in that post-purchase stage. And when you have maybe competitors telling a completely another narrative or story that isn't actually validated and you know they've been spun a yarn. And once mm-hmm. they get to that post-purchase stage, competing with empathy at that post-purchase moment feels like 
the differentiators that you just spoke about that the during a win loss interview, you can see right away, okay, they pick competitor X because of these mm-hmm. three reasons. We know those three reasons. They might have sold it, sold a bill of goods in that boat, but we need to be in that win loss interview. We need to not combat it. We're not selling like the decision has been made, but we know they'll boomerang around. And if we mm-hmm. constantly and we bring them in with open arms, and then you then you mentioned as well those differentiated points, actually having social proof, real examples of how you're yes. actually going to support them in that way. That's how you compete. And it's not just slinging, competing is not just slinging mud, saying this no. is what we do better than them. It's those little nuances and moments. And I think that that example right there is, is so indicative of the different ways that you compete as a business. Well, and I would add one more. You're also competing post-purchase on wins because it's not like competitors go away. Competitors continue to reach out. They continue to try to sell to them. And you cannot assume just because somebody is your client and that they have been your client for five years or more, even you cannot assume that they will be your client forever. Complacency is the killer in all things. That's, that's the, that's the title. Now I think we're going to open with the call. <laughs> Complacency is the killer. That is punchy. I love it. And it's again, it, it talks to relationship building as well. Like, we, some of our, some of our sellers that are just good people and build good relationships. And especially mm-hmm. when someone becomes a customer or if they don't, because of that relationship, they'll feed information to the seller who will then feed the information to the compete right. lead. And you can share it out because you, you gotta be naive to think that competitors aren't knocking on the door of your customers. But if that customer is happy and not only happy with the product, but happy with the service, the people, the whole package then they're going to be on your side. They're going to bring you the information. Here's what competitors are saying. And oftentimes those moves that a competitor is trying to make, I could, I could pull up our Slack right now and be like, oh yeah, that's not going to work. That doesn't make sense. And no. it makes you feel more confident. And again, I think confidence is another piece of competing. My last question then okay, for you is when in your role right now as a compete lead, and I think mm-hmm. this kind of speaks to the anarchy side of things when someone before having a yeah. process in place, you see something happening. At what point now do you, do you decide, okay, yeah, time and resources need to be dedicated to a competitor when you, when you're in this position or you're hearing information, like, do you have sort of criteria built out? Do you mm-hmm. tear out what competitors, like, how do you determine, yes, we're going to put some time, effort and resources to researching and then enabling teams on competitors. So at this point, I'll admit it is largely by gut. I'm sure at some point it will become more formal, but the way it works right now, yes, we do. We do tier them and we tier them by how often are they showing up? If a competitor is showing up regularly, whether it's for all of our teams or or only some of our teams, we are very focused. We are paying attention to, you know, what are buyers saying? What are their moves in the market? If they're public, you know, what's happening in their quarterly statements? Uh, there are definitely battle cards, but even actually for our next tier down where they are showing up occasionally in competitive sales situations as much as possible. I mean, resource dependent. I am one person at the moment, then they would still get a battle card because, but for me, The reps don't get a battle card until we start losing because it is difficult to do a useful, compelling battle card if we don't have enough information about why we win and why we lose against them. Those are some of the core pillars of what we have in our battle cards. And so rather than putting out 
something that's like kind of sort of incomplete, I would rather wait and see because like if there's say there's a competitor, oh no, they showed up. It's the first time. Okay. Well, like we can, we can, you know, we can check out their social media. We can search, but I've already been tracking them on include on the back end, So I already have information to draw. So basically if I've heard of a competitor, it's probably in there or it's on my list to go in there just for the passive tracking, but battle cards don't happen until it actually becomes competitive because I have to decide where to put my resources because they're like, there's ad hoc requests. I'm doing those quarterly reviews. I'm building other insights, presentations about like, what are the other things happening in the market beyond from like a competitor to competitor standpoint that we need to be aware of and need to take into consideration. So I have to be judicious with my time. Again, having clue helps a lot. Um, I used to be really frustrated by having a rough idea of how much I was missing because you cannot possibly visit every competitor's social media all the time and their website and know what's changing on their website and know what press releases are going like, yeah, you can do your Google alerts, but like that becomes untenable real, real quick. So a platform helps. It does indeed. It also helps this podcast have people like you on Tara. This has been, Come on. you like that segue? Did you, <laughs> that's, that's, so that's professional it's, right there. That you was like, that like it was smooth. It was very smooth. <laughs> Tara, I appreciate you taking the time today. Um, we're definitely going to have you back on. There's no ifs or buts other than Wonderful. you saying, okay. Tara, <laughs> great having you on. And everyone, we'll catch you next week. <laughs>